Welcome to the Theoso Podcast, where theology meets sociology, along with a little bit of soul. I'm your host, Chad Cooper. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Sunday School Sundays. This is when we set aside some time for Christian education. We'll go over a Bible lesson that includes the introduction, that gives some brief background and cultural setting, the verses themselves, we will proceed to an exposition that will break down the verses. Finally, we'll wrap up with some summary, discussion questions, and life application, along with the DDR, the Home Daily Devotional Readings. Today's Bible lesson is a continuation of our winter teaching series on calls, as God's calls, as we looked at Jesus' calls in ministry. The past three weeks, we looked at from the Gospels of Matthew as well as Mark. We saw that Jesus was called to proclaim the gospel from Luke chapter 4. Jesus called to significance some Galilean fishermen to be fishers of men in Luke chapter 5. And last week, Jesus was called to heal a man not only of his physical ailments, but he declared that his sins were forgiven, thereby signifying that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, the promised, prophesied Savior, who holistic, holistically heals individuals. Today's episode, we're going to be dealing with the topic of called as the intercessor, or standing in the gap. Our scripture verses will come from the gospel according to John chapter number 17, verses 14 through 24. Our main thought or our key memory verse is verse 20. Let's read from the KJV. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Our unifying principle is this. People often look for ways to appeal for assistance on the behalf of others. Question to consider, how can people respond to the urge to intercede in a meaningful manner? Jesus' prayer for his disciples serves as a call for us to intercessory prayer for the sake of others. Now for our introduction. The lesson setting takes place around the Caponium in the region of Galilee, circa AD 29. The basic definition of intercessory prayer is that the source of someone other than the prayer for which it is intended. It is a prayer lifted for the benefit of another. In the Bible, petition and intercession are primary, though adoration, thanksgiving, and confession also have roles. Yet, the petitionary element is present in all these forms of prayer. Intercessory prayer is a gift to both the believer and to those for whom the prayer is directed. 
Intercessory prayer comes from Jesus because it was given to him from the Father. The following example is Jesus' intercessory prayer for us. Prayer for the believer is an indispensable resource for spiritual formation. More than it being the way we communicate to God, it is how we commune with God. Through prayer, we invite God into sacred dialogue between our hearts and his. One does not have to be a master in prayer, but should have a regimen of prayer with the master. This means one of the first things we must learn is how to pray. It is a natural act, so we already know how to do it. What often impedes our fluency in the language of prayer is our intention or the lack thereof. The intention we must have with prayer focuses our attention on the subject matter, God. Intentional intensiveness is the inner disposition of the soul that establishes the framework for the kind of prayer we offer to God. It refers to the space we create in our consciousness for inner dialogue. Being intentional and attentive mean we listen more than we speak. We allow the voice of God to marinate our soul until the language of prayer spills over in response. From this vulnerable posture, prayer can be expressed in the form of adoration and thanksgiving, or it can be part of our confession and conversion. However, what is practiced among most Christians are petitionary prayers. Petitionary prayers are prayers to God on behalf, on our behalf. Intercessory prayer is when we pray on behalf of another. It is one of the greatest displays of personal grace. This was Jesus' custom. He prayed for his disciples and all believers. Most people have had the unfortunate experience of not being liked for one reason or another. Jesus prays for his followers because they are hated much like he was in his time on earth. Being hated is difficult. Beyond the mental discomfort it causes, Hate is the cause for physical danger, both imminent and apparent, as well as hidden but vicious. Hatred is the underlying root for persecution and marginalization of various groups of people throughout history. Hatred was the motivation for Hitler's, quote, final solution. South Africa's apartheid. The Rwandan genocide and the ethnic cleansing in the Balkan mountains of the 1990s. 
Christians throughout time have faced varying degrees of hatred for our beliefs and marked difference from the world. Our lesson concerns itself with Jesus' prayer of consecration, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, in which he prays that Christians are protected and learn unity as those who are his followers. Over the years, there have been an extraordinarily little debatable content in the prayer. Rather, much attention is given to the weight of the spiritual insight within the prayer. Quote, that all of them may be one. End quote. From verse 21. Section one of our exposition is entitled Petition for the Disciples. Let's read John chapter 17 verses 14 through 19. I have given them thy word and the world have hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Petition for the disciples. Verse 14 breaks in while Jesus is praying for his disciples with language reminiscent of a farewell discourse. He entreats God to keep them from the evil one. He endorses their readiness to carry out the mission he began. According to Jesus, the disciples have been prepared through his teaching and exposing them to the word. More specifically, God's word. It's important to note that because the author's belief, John, was that Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. See the reference to John chapter 1 verse 14. He's implying that Jesus gave himself to his disciples. Their exposure to the word slash Jesus was more than divine instruction. It involved the regular exchange of inspiration, revelation, and mentorship. They knew him personally. Intimacy with Jesus, however, is not without its challenges. The more the disciples hung around Jesus, the more their overall world view changed. Their new mindset conflicted with the old way of thinking, like the world thinks. 
in a sense. They have become aliens in the world they once loved. The old hymnologist would say, Pilgrim through this barren land. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Amen, hymn book. Jesus' accusation that, quote, the world hate them, end quote, represented more the measure of rejection than the intensity of emotion. The contrast that their lives to that of the world could not be any more divergent. Like Jesus said, quote, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. For this reason, he petitions God to, quote, sanctify them by your truth. Jesus had already sanctified the disciples by giving them himself in the form of his word and instruction. His word is truth. Believers are consecrated by knowing and living in God's truth. Sanctification is continuous as we ingest God's word. And thus, as Jesus is soon to return to the Father, he asks God to continue where he left off by endowing them with wisdom and divine insight. This is why Jesus prays for protection from the evil one for his disciples. It is not surprising that Jesus would advocate on behalf of his disciples given he is our advocate as stated by the self-author in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. However, it is interesting in how short his acknowledgement of the evil one was. Often we spend more time complaining about the evil one and in so doing diverting attention away from the subject and object of prayer. God himself. Jesus is demonstrating that the evil one is not worth a long acknowledgement. We should place our gaze and words on God. As it states in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, our conversation is in heaven. Though conversation in modern English is translated as citizenship, the concept is the same. Typical conversation is based where one's citizenship lies. An old saying goes, quote, argue with God and chatter with the angels, end quote. In other words, one talks with God deeply with reason and passion for he is the difference maker. On the other hand, one only engages in small talk with angels because their power and agency are limited. Satan's power and agency are limited. By God's omnipotence. To reaffirm the disciples' preparedness, Jesus acknowledges their prior commitment to the work. He said to God, As you have sent me into the world, I also 
have sent them. Assuring the Father that like he has been faithful to the call, though not yet completed the mission at this point. So have they have been to their calling. Finally, Jesus adds, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. To be sanctified is to be set apart for the purpose of fulfilling God's will. Jesus was speaking about the future, pointing to his post-resurrection state. His death and resurrection from the dead are necessary events to pave the way for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in the hearts of his believers, that they may also be sanctified by truth eternally. See the reference to John chapter 14 verses 15 through 18. Section 2 is entitled, Petition for All Believers. We'll read John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one. Even as we are one. I in them and thou in me. That they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father. I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, to be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. The third and final section of Jesus' prayer is for future believers, and by extension, for the world to which they will witness. Jesus' words make it clear that there is a larger vision for his church beyond the small group of disciples in the upper room. The future he envisioned consists of those, quote, who will believe in, end quote, him, not by directly witnessing his miracles, but through the witness of the disciples and, quote, their word. The community of believers was not to end with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but to continue to the generations of the disciples. Verse 21 reveals the intent behind Jesus' inclusiveness of all believers in his prayer. Quote, that they all may be one. It's you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us. 
the ultimate demonstration of God's work through his people in the world is spiritual unity. Jesus' prayer for all believers is for the absolute oneness of the Father and the Son to be spiritually transferred to believers. And they may be one just as we are one. See the reference to John chapter 10 verse 30 and chapter 17 verse 21. A unified fellowship in the faith is proof for the world to see and that they may know Jesus is the Christ who has been sent from God. Not only sent by God, but loved by God. And in the same way he has loved his son, Jesus promises God will love all believers. In the final part of his intercession, Jesus turns his attention to the ultimate destiny of all believers, including his disciples now and for future generations to come. His prayer for them was that they may behold him in his true image of his glory, free from constraint. Some religious traditions in Christian theology have evolved beyond teaching believers that certain physical positions are required for prayer to be valid. Many Eastern religions still regard an authorized posture in prayer as a part of what makes the ritual sacred. Bowed heads, closed eyes, clasped hands, bended knees, or lying prostrate are some of the ways the Bible instructs Christians to demonstrate their devotion to God. The idea is that manipulating our bodies to assume a particular position during prayer promises to promote a more enriching experience with God. For some, demonstrating the correct posture in prayer expresses deep contrition, humility, and a constant mindfulness of God's close presence. However, there's a difference between the right posture in prayer and the right posture of prayer. The former refers to the positioning of our bodies during the act, while the latter to the attitude one has prior to engaging in prayer. Having the right physical posture in prayer means very little if one lacks the corresponding attitude to go with it. On the other hand, when one has the right attitude of prayer, it doesn't matter the posture they assume because God is not concerned with the outward appearance but what is in our heart. When our posture of prayer is one that is open and receptive to God, the practice of prayer becomes an unceasing spiritual activity. We converse with him as we would a friend. Because when we are vulnerable in his presence, we recognize him as the friend we needed. However, the right physical posture in prayer helps to engender the focus and attentiveness that is need in proper prayer. 
one can pray in any physical distance, but by stealing and positioning our bodies, our minds, and spirits can fall into the discipline of prayer. This discipline in prayer gives us the insight necessary to hear from God and pray according to the Spirit. Some concluding remarks and life application. Remember it. In giving the disciples God's word, Jesus gave himself. This means that in addition to what Jesus taught them by the way of direct instruction, he also taught them by demonstration. Jesus and his disciples were close, as should we strive to be with him. We are able to remain close to him by obeying his word. The more we learn of him, the more we become like him. Jesus prayed for his disciples and those that come later as well. His prayer life is a model for all of us who want to draw closer to him. Jesus prayed fervently, even though he was God. We should not confuse our petitions as a method to change the mind of God. When we consider that James wrote we should pray for one another, see the reference to James chapter 5 verse 16, and Jesus taught us to pray for those who persecute us, see the reference to Matthew chapter 5 verse 44, we are able to witness a Christian who is filled with power and has a relationship with the Lord. Intercessory prayer is a gift granted to believers who must first recognize personal prayer works and plays a prominent role in their daily lives. From the realization of personal prayer, intercessory prayer simply becomes an extension of the greatness and glory of God. Jesus states his sole intent is to glorify his Father. One of his protection priorities is the protection of his followers. They need protection for several reasons. Here are three. Number one, their association with Jesus. Number two, this new relationship to Jesus comes with hatred. Number three, there is safety and unity of purpose and the numbers that come along with sameness. On a very practical level, followers of Jesus in first century Palestine need protection from being persecuted solely for their association with Jesus. Saul, a Pharisee, whom we know as Paul and author of much of the New Testament, 
once persecuted followers of Christ. See the reference to Acts chapter 8. Secondly, the followers of Christ have been given the word of God. Those who received God's word, he also gave them the right to be children of God. See the reference to John chapter 1 verse 12. This is a permanent endowment of eternal life. It is a move from alienation from God because of sin to friendship and heirship in God's kingdom. However, number two, this new relationship to Jesus comes with hatred. The world that stands against Christ. As Christ was not of this world and hated by this world, so too his followers will experience the same hatred. Therefore, Jesus seeks protection through his father. They are to take up the ministry of Christ after his resurrection. The use of the word world refers to both living persons who oppose the teachings of Christ and the devil whose actions are to destroy the work and ministry of Christ. First, by his death on the cross, and secondly, by attacking his followers. The devil is the evil one who dominates the kingdom of this world. Jesus' prayer, however, suggests otherwise that his father has authority over the devil and can protect the followers of Christ. Instead of Jesus praying for an exodus from earth, Jesus expects them to remain under his father's protection. Some religions that are not Christian teach that the world is an illusion that must be transcended. Jesus did not ask for these disciples to escape an illusory world. Rather, Jesus asked for the disciples to be one. He wants the relationships within the community of believers to reflect the relationship between him and the father. See the reference to verse 21 in the lesson. Jesus' desire for his followers is about their protection, which leads us to the third point. There is safety and unity of purpose and the numbers that come along with sameness. The singularity of purpose and plan is protective as it becomes nearly impossible to destroy an entire movement as opposed to one radical. Now, for the discussion questions. Have you ever stood in the gap for someone else? What did that entail? How did you accomplish your goal? As Christians, how do we exemplify oneness? How does love demonstrate unity among God's believers? Contrast Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane to the prayer in John chapter 17. Use Hebrew chapter 7 verse 27 to explain how both roles of Jesus, that of a priest and that of a sacrifice, are shown when combining both prayers. 
we come to the end of our lesson, we have the DDR, the Home Daily Devotional Readings. Monday, Jesus supports Mary's choice. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Tuesday, Jesus responds to sister's call. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Wednesday, Jesus raises Mary. Correction, Jesus raises Lazarus. Mary believes. Thursday, women carry resurrection message to the apostles. Luke chapter 24, verses 5 through 10. Friday, Jesus' final words and ascension. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Saturday, Simeon sees impact of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 2, verses 28 through 35. Sunday, the Spirit empowers daughters to prophesy. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. And then verses, then chapter 21, verses 8 through 9. Our trending topic of discussion for today's Bible lesson is entitled Praying with Intentions. Hashtag Praying with Intentions. Jesus prayed with the intention of covering his disciples. We should pray for those in our circle too. Share your views on social media and tag us at CJCooper929 on Instagram and Twitter and use hashtag Sunday School Sundays and hashtag The Soul Podcast. You can also find us on social media. We are already mentioned Instagram and Twitter is at CJCooper929. But also on Facebook, you can look us up, Chad Cooper. If you would like to discuss the Bible lesson or just anything related to the Theosoul podcast. If you would like to donate to the podcast or feel feel led to give, you can do so via Cash App, which is dollar sign CJ Cooper 22. This has been another episode of the Theosoul podcast of Sunday School Sundays. We hope that you have enjoyed the Bible lesson. We also hope you enjoy your day. God bless and take care.